the break's still going on for um, some of some people, right? It's like if you go to a normal college, you haven't started yet, right? But for the rest of you who go to Northwestern, welcome back. Glad you're here early. Uh, my kids don't go back to school till tomorrow for the, the younger ones. I'm sure some of people are still on, on break, but I'm glad you're here. It's New Year. Um, some of you may be into New Year's resolutions. I'm not really into New Year's resolutions, but I was wondering this year, wouldn't it be awesome if you can make New Year's resolutions for someone else? Make a New Year's resolution for someone else that actually benefited yourself. That'd be cool. I, I suggested that. I said, I had my family around dinner. I said, hey, let's, let's make New Year's resolutions for each other. And they were all over it. And I had to totally cut that off because that is not a good idea. But it, it is a great idea, right? Like for your baby, you have a baby, say, it's your New Year's resolution, my three-month-old baby, that you will sleep through the night. Wouldn't that be great? Go to your boss. It's your New Year's resolution that you will give me a raise. It is your New Year's resolution, teacher, that you give me some slack and give me an A, right? Maybe there's somebody that you want to ask you out. It's their New Year's resolution to ask you out, right? Wouldn't that be great if you could just make New Year's resolutions for someone else? Because when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions for ourselves, for someone else, they're always future. We're thinking about this future, that there is this future that we want that's better than the future that we have, and and we envision it, and we actually see something that may come or may not come, but we hope it comes, and and we want something future to happen better than what's happening now. And many of you are in 2017, all of you are actually, and you're thinking about the future, but whatever you face in the new year, there is something we have in common. We don't know the future. And if if you're like me, there are many conversations that you have with God about your future. Anybody pray a lot about your future? You talk to God, say, God, let's let's talk about these things. You talk about maybe your singleness, you you want to get married, or you talk about problems in marriage, or you talk about, uh, many of you are talking to God about career transitions right now, or or future schooling, or even moving and starting over, and you're having these conversations with God, and and there's one thing, I think there's one thing probably that you're voicing, or you're you're not voicing, but it's there, and these conversations with God about your future, there's one thing you're wondering, and it's this, when, when, when am I going to get some traction? When am I going to move forward? When am I going to get accepted? When is someone going to like me? <laughs> when, God, when? And, and here's what makes the when question really pressing. It's, in the, it's, it's when we're suffering, right? When we say, God, when will we finally get pregnant? Or, or when will my kid make some progress? Or when will this pain go away or the depression lift? And when will I finally get victory over sin? When, when will my life change for the better? It, when, God, when? And I'm wondering, as you were here this morning, what is your when? When you voice this to God, or even from your heart right now, what is that? What is your when that you're just asking God, when? It's natural for us to want to know the future, especially when life is painful and hard. There was once this group of martyrs in the Bible, and they were, they were asking the Lord, when? They were trying to determine when the suffering of the saints would finally come to an end. And they're saying, when, God, when? And get this, get this. God does not give them a detailed timeline. And I don't know about you, 
but that's exactly what I want. I want God to lay it out for me in a detailed timeline, the way things are going to fall into place a long time so that I can get to where I want to be in the future. But in the Bible, God does not give these martyrs or anybody a detailed timeline, but what he often does, he keeps pointing back to himself and his control and and, and his own timeline. And what he says to these martyrs and what he says to you this morning is that he wants you, get this, get this, you ready? He wants you to rest. He wants you to calm down. He wants you to trust him. So hear this prophetic word this morning, and you need it. Rest. Rest in God's sovereign control. Rest. Well, let's launch back into the book of Revelation. If you want to turn to the book of Revelation, we're in Revelation chapter 6. We started with all the easy stuff in the fall. And now, as we go through the middle portions of Revelation, it's going to be hard. It's going to require your effort, your energy, your study, your heart, your mind. You cannot uh, tune out during these portions. These are going to be hard chapters to study. We saw a heavenly vision in chapter 4 of God on his throne. And now we went to chapter 5, and we see Jesus taking this scroll from God's hand. He's the conquering lamb, and he's able to open this scroll. And we're starting to come to the contents of this scroll finally in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is going to start this idea of God's judgment on his enemies and vindication for his people. And, hey, the Bible says we're blessed if we read the book of Revelation, and we're blessed if we hear it and keep it. So let's just get blessed together. Go ahead and stand as I read it to you. I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 6. Let's go. Revelation 6, I'll start reading in verse 1. Now watch when the land opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, 
who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked to behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Amen. You may be seated. This book is originally written to a suffering and persecuted church. They know that God is on the throne, but they also know that they are suffering greatly. And they are wondering, when? When will it end? And when will God intervene? And John has shown this vision that God is still in control and he will soon bring judgment in his time. There's a lot here, and I think some structure may help you. I'm going to put it up for you. Perhaps it will help. This is the structure as we go through this. In verses 1 through 8, we're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the focus during that time is going to be basically on depravity in full effect. Then in verses 9 through 11, we're going to focus on the martyrs as they cry for vindication. It's going to be a scene in heaven. Then in verses 12 through 17, we're going to see the heaven shaken and wrath coming, and the focus is going to be on the dismantling of creation and the enemies hiding. We're going to go through it verse by verse as best as we can. Hopefully you can stay engaged. I'm going to try to explain as much as I, I can. There's a lot that, will, that can be seen in your version app if you want to follow along there as well, and hopefully you can talk about it more in your ethos community. So let's go ahead and jump in to chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. The seven seals uh, of this scroll, here's an image of the scroll. It's like the scroll and these seals hold the paper together. And it is unrolled as each seal is opened by Jesus Christ. And as these seals are broken, each time it happens, action is triggered. And it's the beginning of a time called the tribulation. The tribulation is going to last from chapter 6 all the way up until chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. The tribulation is a time when history is ending. Now, there's going to be a lot of questions you want to have about the timing of the tribulation, how long it lasts and when it comes and what it's like on the timeline. Now, I would encourage you to go to our class that starts at 8.30, which is going to be hitting a lot of the timeline. I'm not going to be covering as much timing in here. I'm just going to be explaining the text. So I'm going to encourage you to go to 8.30 to talk more about the, the timing. But basically, the, the, the tribulation is a time in human history when there's great suffering, there's judgment on the earth until Christ returns. And we know that these are events happening during the tribulation, near the end of the world, because they have not 
in one sense, happened yet. Yes, there has been suffering throughout time. Yes, there has been wars throughout time. But the stuff that happens during the tribulation are going to be calamities that we have never seen. And they're going to continue up until the time that Jesus Christ returns. One more note before we jump in some more. If you want to read Matthew 24, you can read Matthew 24 and you can compare a lot of the events that we're going to be reading today and over our time during the tribulation. So if you want to read Jesus' words in Matthew 24, it's a good cross-reference and comparing. All right, back to verse 1. Now I watched when the land opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. We're about to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Maybe you have some background in that terminology. Maybe you have some image of that. There's a great artwork in the past by Albert Durer. I'll put it up for you. You're probably going to see it very well. You look it up later. But it's the images of four horsemen coming down. Maybe that's the image you have of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I want to encourage you not to think about that, okay? Here's something else I don't want you to think about, what you're probably thinking about, is X-Men. All right, I'm going to put it up for you. This is from the movie uh, for, you know, the X-Men apocalypse, four horsemen. So if you ever think about that, don't think about that. So I gave you two examples. Do not think about that, all right? That's not what we're talking about. So what's going on with these four horsemen? Well, some people think that this white horse is Jesus. It's not Jesus. Jesus comes later. Some think this is maybe the Antichrist. It's probably not the Antichrist either. We'll talk about that later. What's probably going on with the four horsemen uh, many people most agree that, that these, these horses and their riders are, are symbolic of the forces of judgment and evil. This is what's best to think about. God is going to judge the earth. Now, this is great. And as he starts to judge the earth, he just lets people go. He just kind of lets depravity run wild and lets people turn in on themselves. And as each horse is symbolically released, then humans in their depravity do something even worse. And that's what's going on with the four horses and the horsemen of the, the apocalypse. It's, it's God turning humans over to the fullness of their sinful depravity. It's as God is saying to humans, you want to go for it? Go for it. And as these, these horsemen, the horsemen are released, that's what happens. And here we have the white horse. And when you think about the white horse, I want you to think of the concept of judgment. And here we have a horse with, and a rider with a bow and a crown. And if you notice at the end of verse 2, the focus is on conquest. And this is symbolic of leaders or leaders who want to go and conquer and take land and take countries. And that has happened throughout time. But near the end of the world, we will see that there will be leaders that will be set on massive expansion and and conquest of their power. And when that happens, it leads to war, which brings us to the second horse. Look at verse 3. When he opened the second seal... I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So when you think about the bright red horse, think about war, think about blood. 
this writer was permitted under God's sovereignty and authorization to remove peace from the earth, so the people started to slaughter one another. This is symbolic of God just letting people manifest the fullness of their depravity, and they're slaying one another uh, in war. War has been a part of our history in the past. War is a part of our lives now and the present. But in the end times, there will be war like never before as humanity will kill and slaughter one another, which leads to the next horse. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, that's Jesus, he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for Daenerys and three quarts of barley for Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and wine. When you think about the black horse, I want you to think about famine. Along with its riders, it shows that when you have a war, you will often have the results of the war being a famine and the rationing of food. And this breaking down, as you can tell, of the purchasing power is that it takes a full day's wage to just have enough money for one person to eat, to eat which means that, that many of the families will be starving. But hey, there's going to be plenty of oil and wine that people aren't going to have enough money to even buy those, those luxuries. There's going to be famine. There's been famine in, in the past. There's famine now in different parts of the world. But near the end times, there's going to be massive Famine. Keep going. Look at verse verse 7. The next horse, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When you think about the fourth horse, the pale horse, think of the color of a, a corpse. Or, and death. And, and this horse has a twin rider of death and Hades, which is the grave. And over a fourth of the planet's occupants are killed in war with a sword, or, or they're starved to death as a result of, of famine and pestilence, which is disease and plagues and roaming wild beasts. And, and in today's terms, this would be about one and a half to two billion people killed. And that's a lot of death. Now let me stop for a minute and say this. It's January. We're in the dead of winter. Some of you over the winter struggle with uh, depression. We're in a pretty dark, you may be, maybe in a dark place right now. And you come to church and we're talking about the end of the world. And you're wondering, and how is that supposed to help? Uh, like uh, even as I'm reading this, some of you are getting lower and lower and lower and more discouraged. We're talking about the end of the world, the slaughter and the blood and the death. Keep this in mind. If you're wondering how this is helpful, keep this in mind. Your pain, your struggle, your trial has an end date. There is an end date. And as the early church is being killed that are hearing this, they are being persecuted. And as this, this letter comes to them, and they're, and, you, and they're reading about conquest, war, famine, and death, you know what? They're probably feeling a, a combination of fear, 
but also relief. There will be a day where there'll be vindication for God's, God's people. There will be a day of judgment. There is an end date to your suffering. But if you're like me, you want to know when. When? It's a common question. And it's the question we see asked as we move to the second portion. As we see the martyrs crying for vindication. And we focus, the, sh- the scene is now in heaven. And we have the opening of the fifth seal as the focus shifts to heaven and the cry of the martyrs. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There's the win question. Did you see it there? It's expressed by the martyrs. Did you see it? They say, how long? These are martyrs in heaven who have been killed for witnessing to the good news of Jesus and holding to the word of God. Did you know that today Christians are being killed for their faith? Last year in 2016, 90,000 Christians worldwide were killed for their faith. In 2015, 105,000 Christians were killed for their faith in Jesus. And near the end times, as you can imagine, chaos is breaking out all over the world and Christians step up to tell the good news in Jesus Christ. Many of those Christians are being killed. And here we have some of those killed Christians now in heaven and they want to know how long before the Lord brings judgment to the unbelievers who dwell on the earth. God actually answers their question. They want to know when. They want to know how long. And so God gives them an answer at the end of verse 11. Look at it. End of verse 11, he said, here's your answer. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What? How about that for an answer? God's basically saying, let me tell you when this is all going to wrap up. There's still a number of believers who still have to be killed. God has a certain amount of martyrs that must be killed before he pours out his full wrath. Now, when people ask me, why hasn't Jesus come back? Why hasn't God brought full judgment right now? I usually will go to 2 Peter 3, 9, and I'll talk about God's patience and mercy, his giving people time to repent. But the reason in this context, why the full judgment of God has not been poured out is that there are still more believers who have to be killed. That's not my plan, that's God's sovereign plan, and we must trust him that it's a plan that brings him glory. Sometimes, sometimes in God's plan, he allows pain and suffering to come your way. And you wonder, when will it end? Maybe it will end soon. But maybe not. And you're wondering, how is that hopeful. How's that hopeful? 
Wait, can you imagine telling a battered church, Christ isn't coming back yet because there's still many more of you that still have to die? How's that hopeful? I mean, you know there are times in our lives when things happen, you don't see the situations going to improve. I, I remember in my 20s, I've told you before, in my 20s, I was taking care of my grandmother and her, her health was deteriorating big time. And I would take her to therapy. I would take her, you know, to physical therapy, to speech therapy. And we, we would go through all these therapies and we're getting to a point in her life where it hit me. She's not going to get better. This will not improve her speech. This will not improve. She'll, she'll never walk again. It hit me. This is not going to get better. No matter how many medicines or therapies I take, she's not going to get better. And, and I, it made me start thinking, how do we react and how do we feel when there's a situation that you may be facing? And, you're, and as far as you can tell, it's not going to get better on this earth. It, it will not improve. Maybe you have something in your life like that, and you're trying to be hopeful, and you're praying, but, but there's something maybe going on in a lot of our lives, in our families, in our situation. You're like, this is just not going to get better ever until I'm in heaven, until Christ comes back. What do you do with that? Do you quit? Do you give up? Or do you keep pressing in and say, okay, God, give me some hope here. And God does. He gives these martyrs hope. Look again in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Even in the midst of their win question, he clothes them in the righteousness of Christ, right? Given to them covered with his blood. And then he tells them, rest a little longer because vindication is coming. Rest, wait for it. And he's telling this to people in heaven. And, and I just think, how much more do we need to hear that on this earth? How much more do you need to hear that right now? I, I just want to kind of speak to your heart if I can. Uh, something that I, I read recently, I just want to uh, read it to you. That if God tells you, wait a little bit longer, it's so that his highest purposes can be accomplished. He's not careless or arbitrary in his timing. He loves you and he is with you and he's working for your good. And what if God just came into your life right now and he said, hey, 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 my child, just, just rest. And, and that, that's some terminology for us on earth that we need to have faith. And it's not just faith, general faith, but it, it's faith in God. And it's not just faith that God is good, I heard this this week. It, it's faith that you believe that God is good to me. It's not, 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 not just say, oh God, I believe you're in control. No, 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 I believe God, you're in control of my life. God is speaking to you right now to rest. Even if you see no solution to what you're going through, he's saying rest, believe that he is good to you. Let's finish it up, all right? If things get worse, uh, we start moving on to the third portion of here, and we see the heavens are the shake and wrath is coming, and the, the, the enemies, they're, they're, they're hiding, and creation is being dismantled. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, 
And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Look at the cosmic dismantling of creation in these six terrible events. We have a great earthquake. The sun is darkened and blackened. The moon appropriately becomes red like blood. Stars are falling like a meteor shower and the sky is being rolled up, split, and, and mountains and islands are removed. <laughs> Imagine hearing this teaching if you're living in Jamaica <laughs> or Hawaii <laughs> or in the mountains of Colorado. They're going to be removed. The first heaven and earth is starting to come undone and it's clear that the end of the world has come. But God's enemies, they're hiding. Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? We have kings and generals and the rich and powerful. They're in the same spot as the slave and the poor person. They're in the caves and they're hiding among the rocks of the mountains and they're hoping to die. It's the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb is the great leveler of humans. And all sinners are accountable to a holy God and his wrath is being poured out. And as God's wrath is being poured out, these sinners are not thinking about sports. They're not thinking about how their stocks are doing. They're not thinking about graduating. They're not thinking about their careers. They're not thinking about their relationships. They are in hiding from the wrath of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the last question says, and who can stand? When wrath breaks out on this earth, who can stand? And the answer is, only those who find themselves on the side of the Lamb. Only those who find themselves on the side of the conquering Lamb. Who can stand from the wrath of God? At the end of the world and for eternity, only those who find themselves hidden inside the lamb. And that lamb is the one who came 2,000 years ago, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sinners, bearing the full wrath of God. And for those who repent of their sins, put their faith in his death and his burial and resurrection, can be shielded from the wrath of God forever as they are forgiven and hidden in the Lamb by faith. Who can stand? Only those who stand firm in the love of Christ. And even as you wonder when, 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 just know that God has a plan. And his plan was to shield you from his wrath in Christ and he has a plan that will come to fruition in his timing. And as you are here today, what is your win? 
right now, where are you saying, how long, O Lord? Where do you feel like right now you are enduring a lengthy struggle? I thought I would want to speak to certain aspects of your life. I'm going I'm to speak almost prophetically to you because I want you to hear this. And I'm not going to cover every person here, but I want to speak to certain segments in here if you allow me to speak kind of prophetically to you. There are sometimes a lot of silent sufferers in our church because there's, there's a few things that can't be talked about. And, and one of those is, is many people have suffered in the past and are suffering right now with um, uh, infertility. And I just want to speak God's word to you. Um, you need to understand that God has a plan. He has his timing. And he loves you. And he's working out his plan now. And he wants you to rest in him. And I, I also want to um, speak to those in here who... Um, you may have a, a troubled child or some, maybe some of you have a really a troubled parent. Like I know some people have problems with their parents, but there's something off with your mom or your dad. There's just something off and you can't explain it. Maybe it's something mental, emotional, or maybe there's something wrong with one of your kids. And I want to tell you this. God is in control. He has a certain timing in the way that he does things that we don't understand. And he has a plan. And he wants you to rest. To rest in him. And as I've talked to some of you, some of you, and I know, I know most of you are so young, but, but it's interesting that even as we're young, uh, things can break down in our body. I know some of you are struggling in your, in your body, but what, what I've noticed is I've, I've been uh, pastoring college students for about 20 years now. I, I've never seen college students so anxious. And I'm sure there's some reasons why we can explain that. But I've never seen college students so anxious and depressed and almost borderline suicidal. And, and if that's you, I just want you to know that, that God loves you. And, and even in the suffering, he, he has a plan. And he doesn't want you to give up, but he wants you to rest in him. And I want all of you to hear that, no matter what you're going through right now, wherever you're, when, when, God, when, how long, God has a plan, and he loves you, and he wants you to rest in him, and he wants you to believe that he's not just good, but he's good to you. And he wants you to believe that he's not just a God of love, but he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, as we are reading about the undoing of this earth, the coming of the Lamb, and your wrath being poured out, we're not there yet. That there are things that we're dealing with in our life that seem equally as big and as painful. And many of us struggle with timing. 
and wondering when, when will it end, when things get fixed, when will I get fixed? Lord, let us know. Just speak through our hearts right now as you spoke to the martyrs in heaven that your timing is perfect. You see an end to the struggle. You love us. And you're working out your sovereign plan. And help us to rest in you. To believe that you are good to me. That you love me. May we rest in you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.